The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is the Legendary Moments pregame show brought to you by Budweiser. There's a drive deep left field way back, way back, and there she goes. Budweiser, legendary lager for legendary moments in athletics history. Please drink responsibly. That's right. We are back. The Legendary Moments pregame show. Ken Korak and yours truly, Chris Townsend as we are done with the Cincinnati Reds in 1972. And now we head on to 1973, where the A's are taking on the New York Mets. The A's, of course, had a great year at 94 and 68. But this Mets team wasn't very good. But like we see with wildcard teams, you just got to get in. They were 82 and 79. This would go seven games, and it would be a unbelievable series. Yogi Bear is the manager for the Mets. Willie Mays is playing for the Mets. And, of course, they have that great pitching kin led by one of the all-time greats, Tom Seaver. Yeah, and we're not fully done talking about the Reds because the Mets played the Reds in the National League Championship Series, and that on paper was a – mismatch because the Reds, of course, in full flower, even though they had lost to the A's in the World Series as the big red machine, they won almost 100 games uh, in the 73 season. So not many people thought the Mets would advance to the World Series. But Chris, like you said, they had great pitching. And in this first game, John Matlack uh, pitching for the Mets against Kenny Holtzman. One of the things, of course, both teams, like you said, had great starting pitching. But if you look at the pitching matchups, you would have to say that Catfish was the A's ace and Tom Seaver was the Mets ace. But because both teams played five, now they played best of five back then in the division series. And because both those series went five games, Seaver pitched the fifth game for the Mets and Catfish pitched for the A's. So uh, they wouldn't match up and they would match up twice in the World Series, but not until game three. And, you know, you think about Kenny Holtzman and watching him pitch in the last series in 1972, just a tall, fluid left-hander who's a terrific athlete. And, man, did he fill up the strike zone. He had a terrific breaking ball. But as, you know, Ray Fossey tells us all the time, he'd go out there and just challenge you fastball after fastball, then sometimes would take some of, some of off and throw what they call a, a BP fastball, which is kind of like a changeup. Kenny Holtzman won a lot of big games for the A's in the postseason. Huge trade, of course, before 72 to get Holtzman from the Cubs for Rick Monday. And, Chris, you've talked about the difference. And, and it's one of the interesting things about watching these games, and that is all the differences in the way the game has evolved. If you look at Holtzman was 21-13 and 13 in 73. He made 40 starts. So you're talking about a four-man rotation, so he pitched – Every fourth game, right? He threw 297 and a third innings, and he had 16 complete games. <laughs> what would a guy like that be worth in today's baseball? And then the next year in 74, because he also pitched his game one of the World Series that year against the Dodgers, he had 36 decisions. Can you imagine that? He was 19 and 17. 
And both these clubs, the starting pitching is phenomenal. Uh, Tug McGraw, their closer was fantastic. A lot of us remember Tug as a Philadelphia Philly, but he was a big part of this Mets bullpen. And of course, he's going to be up against Raleigh Fingers. Right, and McGraw has six innings in game two, which was kind of a mess of a game, but it was noteworthy for a lot of reasons. Game two featured Willie Mays' last hit wearing a big league uniform. Also, the Mike Andrews, the two errors, and then all that that exploded with Charlie Finley trying to fire Andrews after that game, and that eventually led to Dick Williams saying, this is it for me. And so this is Williams' last World Series managing the A's. And probably the strangest thing that we're going to see, and you'll be able to listen to the game here on A's cast or at 8 o'clock, go to television, NBC California, and you can watch the game. And it always, like, whenever you see it, it's like, wow, is seeing Willie Mays in a New York Met uniform. He had been traded by the Giants to the Mets the previous year. And LeGrand Orange, Rusty Staub, was one of the best players on the Mets team in 73, but he was hurt. And that's why Mays got the start playing against center field in this game in game one. And he batted third, which is where he batted all those years for the Giants. But this would mark, Chris, Willie Mays' last start wearing a big league uniform. And this really solidifies Reggie Jackson. Jackson has a huge series, and he'd be named World Series MVP. Yeah, 9 for 29 at the plate with a home run and six RBIs. And speaking of Reggie, I know you talked to – Reggie Chris recently, and here's what uh, Jackson had to say about this matchup, the A's against the Mets. I really thought that uh, it was a great test. You know, they, we, were, we had better players overall than they did. Jason Seaver, Matt Lack, Kuzman, they were a handful. There was nothing short of great about them. And it really was a hell of a challenge uh, facing those guys. Um, I remember the first night of facing Seaver, uh, man, it was cold. And Tom Seaver had it lit up, brother. He had some fire going. He was throwing in the high 90s or whatever. I really thought he was unhittable that night. But I want to say that Campanaris got a big hit for us, and we wound up winning that game late. I really thought that was uh, a big thing for us. I remember every time I got in the batter's box, it was no balls and two strikes. Zoom, zoom was Seaver uh, with a tremendous fastball and tremendous breaking ball. We outplayed him. We could match him with pitching. We had uh, Vida Holtzman and, of course, the great catfish. And Johnny Blue Moon Odom was an unsung guy and a tremendous bullpen. And really, any time Raleigh Finger stood up in the bullpen, the game was over. When Raleigh stood up in the pen to get ready to throw, whether it was a fifth inning, sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth, um, you could get your hat and coat. Come back tomorrow night because that game is over. <laughs> yeah, and these these teams, uh, Chris, used only three starters for this series. That was it. Holtzman started three games for the A's. Vita started two games. Catfish started two. Matlick, Matlack three for the uh, Matt Seaver two. And, and Jerry Kuzman started uh, two games. That was it. You know, and something you're going to continue to see the greatness that really is Raleigh fingers. And we saw it in the last series. We're going to see it in this series. You know, when you start to look at Raleigh fingers numbers, I don't think there's ever been a closer who can match his innings and can match his work. You know, you've had great closers, Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, 
they were more one inning guys to where, as Reggie just said, you could go seven, eight, nine with fingers and it's ball game over. Get your hat and coat. Game's over. We'll yeah. See you tomorrow night. Yeah, well, he pitched six games in the series and he threw 13 and two-thirds innings. So that would never happen now with a closer. In this game, in game one between the A's and the Mets, he threw three and a third. So when Williams looked down there, he, he may have thought the game was on the line in the sixth inning. And he was going to go to to fingers right then. Now he had other guys in the bullpen. And Gerald Knowles set a record that, of course, will never be broken because he pitched in every game of a seven-game World Series out of the pen. But, uh, you know, Reggie, as he, as he mentioned in the previous cut, uh, reflecting back on what Raleigh Fingers did. And uh, here's what Reggie, as he elaborates on how much uh, Fingers meant to those A's ball clubs. Well, Raleigh was really spectacular. He was by far the best in the game at the time. And Gossage was in the game. Tocolby was in the game. You know, those guys, Quisenberry was around. But you really couldn't touch Raleigh. He had all the pitches. And he, he was he threw very similar uh, to as hard as uh, Eckersley threw. He had the same kind of control of Eckersley uh, as well as uh, Mariano. And I kind of mentioned those names because, you know, those are the three guys that have really stood out. Even kid uh, in, in San Diego now that's got the award named after him, a Hoffman, he's tremendous. But Raleigh, you know, you know the story goes and goes. And we talk about the innings that he pitched, et cetera. He pitched 125 innings, 130 innings, 140 uh, innings at times. And now guys get 50, 60 saves with 50, 60 innings. Certainly it's a sign and it, 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 the times have changed. I know that Raleigh could have been successful, maybe even better, although I know I don't know if you could have been any better than him in the era when he was a get two outs or get just three outs in the night. He'd have pitched 160 games, or he'd have been in 80 or 90. Uh, I can tell you that. But, you know, the, the game changed. That you know, set up men came in, et cetera. It would be nothing for Raleigh to come into the game in the fifth inning or the sixth inning, the seventh inning, and get nine outs, get 12 outs, uh, and then come out and pitch the next day. Yeah, just so deserving and a, a no doubt about it Hall of Famer, right, Chris? Oh, my God. And, you know, watching and just analyzing him from the 72 series, and I think it was in game two, it was game four, the second game that we aired, that he comes in and all of a sudden he drops down sidearm with that slider. Yeah. And that's unhittable. Yeah, and he could pitch every day. That was yeah. the thing. If you look back at his, look back and, and go through baseball reference and in his prime, which lasted a long time with three clubs, with the A's, the Padres, and the Brewers. Of course, he was the MVP and won the Cy Young in the National League for the Brewers. You're looking at 120, 130 innings, 70, 75, 76 appearances, and he just he was gifted because he could do that, Chris, and he did it year after year. You know, we talked so much in the last World Series about young players. They're now still young, super talented, now they have the confidence after taking down the big red machine. And, and you're starting to notice that they have some players. When you talk about Reggie Jackson and you talk about Raleigh Fingers and you talk about Catfish Hunter, you've got some players on your team that are all-time greats. 
and the confidence is just growing with this team as they're about to take on the Mets. And, of course, Reggie was hurt, didn't play in the 72 series, and as you said, he broke out in 73, and he was the MVP. And the A's also had a catcher by the name of Ray Fossey, Ray who, was, who was, of course, an Indian, Cleveland Indian in 72, was traded to the A's in spring training in 73. And in this game, in game one, of that series, he batted seventh, and he, of course, played behind the plate. The face of the franchise is in the lineup today? <laughs> He's in there. I was doing – because, you know, we're doing the whole game. Like Ray and I are doing this side-by-side radio broadcast on Thursday. So I've been watching a little bit of the game, and I've got my scorebook out, like like just doing a game, like regular. And I'm writing my lineups in yesterday, and I'm writing Fosse in the, on my lineup sheet batting seventh and, and catching. And I've worked with them for 25 years. And now we're doing this game together, but he's in the game that we're doing. That's, that'll be on Thursday. That is, that, that, that's going to be absolutely classic. <laughs> you, you in Las Vegas, Fosse in Arizona, talking about the 1973 World Series. And we're going to try to do the game. And then we're just going to, of course, we'll have Ray's analysis, which I think is really going to be cool because there were so many interesting things that he can break down for our, our listening audience on Thursday. No doubt. And we still have to hear from Howie Rose, the voice of the New York Mets, and, of course, equipment manager. And he's talking about the other face of the franchise, a guy who's been around since 1968, the great Steve Vucinich. That's all coming your way right here on Legendary Moments pregame show on A's Cast. Today's Swinging A's game is brought to you by Budweiser. Budweiser, legendary lager for legendary moments in athletics history. Please drink responsibly. This Bud's for the magic. The athletics. The Giants. In support for everyone affected by the ongoing pandemic, Budweiser created an emotional 60-second video that champions the best of the American spirit called One Team. The spot is a tribute honoring the everyday people of America who are rising above the call of duty to help in the wake of the COVID-19 health crisis. From doctors and nurses working tirelessly around the clock to grocery store clerks working in today's new normal, Bud's film reminds us that we are all one team and that America is at its best when its people come together to make an impact for their local communities. To watch the video and learn more about how you can help, go to Budweiser.com slash one team. Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We have plans to fit every budget, with speeds up to a gig, all at Xfinity.com. We'll ship you a self-install kit on us to make setup quick, safe, and easy. No tech visit required. And our simple digital tools will help you manage your account online. At Xfinity, we're committed to keeping you connected. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Hi, I'm Kathy Adams, president of the Oakland African American Chamber of Commerce. As the impact of COVID-19 grows, OAACC believes it is important that the African-American community hears directly from us in regards to mitigation efforts you may enact it to reduce the risk to your family and loved ones. Recent data reveals African-Americans are dying from COVID-19. 
at disproportionate rates than other groups. Experts cite diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and lung disease as factors. It is imperative that we institute safeguard measures listed on the OAACC website. We will be conducting virtual forums with African-American experts sharing how we must conduct ourselves during this pandemic. OAACC has taken up the mantle to be caretakers for our community. Visit us at OAACC.org. Here's the pitch to Mike Epstein. There's a drive, hit deep to right field, way back, way back, and it is gone! Home run, Epstein! 3-2 Oakland! This is the Legendary Moments pregame show, brought to you by Budweiser. Chris Townsend and Kent Quarak getting you ready for game one of the 1973 World Series. But Kent, you brought up game two, and I saw this. Kurt Gowdy described the game where the Mets won in 12, 10 to 7, the longest and weirdest game in World Series history. A lot of people have talked about it as being kind of a disheveled game. It was it wasn't a real artistic success as a ball game. Willie Mays, who was 42, and I think he told people after the second game, after that game, that he'd retire after the end of the World Series. Remember, he had a really tough ninth inning in the field defensively, trip rounding third base. He did get a big base hit in the 12th inning as the Mets eventually would win the game and even the series. Then there was that play in the 10th inning that Foss has talked about forever with Bud Harrelson and the play at the plate. There's this great debate, did he tag him or didn't he? And of course, if you ask Ray, obviously it's pretty clear. The legendary Augie Donatelli is the plate umpire. Willie Mays is on deck and pleading with Donatelli to call Harrelson safe. The call was out. But it was an unusual ball game. It wasn't the, I guess it wasn't artistic, but it was dramatic, if that makes any sense. Don't tell how he rose that Ray Coffey tagged him. <laughs> right, exactly. He says, watch the replay in slow motion. Well, Howie, the longtime radio voice of the mess, does a great job. And of course, back in 73, he wasn't broadcasting. He was a young man back then. And he talked about this Mets team, and you had, mentioned Chris that they won just 82 games in the regular season so how did they get there how did they get to the World Series because it all came back to the pitching you know the Mets were able to throw Tom Seaver Jerry Kuzman and John Matlack as starting pitchers in that World Series never mind the controversy about whether Stone should have started game six but you know you had those three starting pitchers who were in some cases dominant and then you had Tug McGraw who had a terrific last two months to the season working out of the bullpen and, you know, some depth on that staff that included Stone and Ray Sadecki and, and it made for a difficult pitching staff to hit against. And then, you know, Rusty Staub, even though he'd been injured in the uh, league championship series, had a great world series offensively. And, you know, Felix Mion was a pain in the neck, of course, if, you know, trying to defend against him, the way he choked up on that bat and could spray it all over the place. Cleon Jones and others, and, you know, it was a pretty good team, but, um, you know, the A's were in the middle of a dynasty. Yeah, no doubt. You know, one other thing we should mention too, Chris, and we've talked about the A's pitchers and their hitting prowess. As we said on the show the other day, 73 was the first year was the advent of the DH. But for whatever reason, I don't remember exactly the rationale. There was no DH used in the World Series. So even though you had the DH, and the A's used it all year. The A's pitchers hadn't hit all season. 
in 73, 74, and 75, there was no DH in the World Series. And in fact, Holtzman would be, now this, this game is another typical A's postseason low-scoring game, which they won 2-1, to one, and Holtzman scored the first run of the game for the A's after doubling and eventually scored on an error by uh, Felix Mion on a ball that was hit by Campaneras. And you know, Catfish loved to hit, Vida loved to hit, Holtzman loved to hit. So the fact that they got to get back in the box, I bet those guys were thrilled in 1973. Yeah, no doubt. And you you mentioned Yogi. We had the matchup in 72. The managers with Dick Williams and Spark Anderson. Now you've got Williams and Yogi Berra. How about that? Yogi Berra, all those years, one of the faces of the Yankee franchise for years, managed them for one year in 64, and they lost in the World Series of the Cardinals. That was his lone year managing them back then. But uh, Gil Hodges had managed the Mets when they, the amazing Mets, when they won the World Series in 69. Now they're back in the series in 73. And it's Yogi Berra and Dick Williams matching up as the two managers. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> Speaking of Williams, as we've been saying, of course, this would be his last uh, World Series, his last week and a half really managing the athletics. He would go on to manage several teams for many more years. But Steve Usinich, longtime A's equipment manager, he's been with the A's since the beginning of the franchise in Oakland in 68. And he talked about Williams and what uh, Dick Williams meant to the A's club. You know what? He was tough, but he was honest. And if you played hard and you were on time, he was great. And when we started spring training in 71, as good as we were in 70 under the great John McNamara, didn't realize how bad we were fundamentally. And since Dix, it was his first year with us, 71, he came in, he wanted to make sure that we've got the basics down. And, and it was a revelation to us and how bad we were on some of the fundamentals, maybe in covering bases or hitting the wrong cutoff guy. Uh, so Dick instilled that in us with a great spring training. And then we went off and, got on a great run in 71. He was, uh, I remember Vida Blue used to call him Quick Draw McGaw because Vida thought he got taken out of games too soon. But Dick could manage the pitching staff as well as anybody. And deservedly uh, in the Hall of Fame along with uh, Reggie and Catfish and Fingers who, of course, played on those clubs for him. Yeah, you think of the all-time greats in this World Series, just like we talked about Last time around with the Big Red Machine, Tom Seaver, for a lot of people, if you don't know, is truly one of the great pitchers in the history of the game, especially at his height, whether it was with the Mets and the Cincinnati Reds. And, Ken, you could make an argument that if you said, I, I, I need one guy to win, win me one game, Seaver's going to be, Catfish is going to be on that list. Tom's Tom terrific. Tom Seaver is going to be on that list. So you think of the greatness of Willie Mays, one of the greatest all around players to have ever played the game. Yogi Berra is probably a top three catcher all time and, and won all those world series and is a huge name. And Tom Seaver is truly one of the great pitchers to have ever lived from Fresno, California, by the way. And his dad, Charlie Seaver, the late Charlie Seaver was a great golfer. Chris, and he was in the uh, among the leaders of the NorCal Golf Association for many years, so really prominent in the world of golf. And one of the keys to this series for the A's was that the A's won the two games that Seaver started. Now, that's not a knock on Seaver because he pitched well, but how about those matchups with Hunter, Catfish Hunter against Seaver in games three and games, and games six? 
The A's won game three, three to two and 11, and they won game six, three, one. So if you want to look at like one thing that really was key for the A's in winning this series, it's not that Seaver pitched badly. It's that the A's won the two games that Seaver started. Yeah, Seaver was that drop and drive guy where where his right knee would t- almost touch the ground. And we haven't seen a whole lot of velocity. We didn't see a whole lot of velocity in 72. We'll see what we see here in 73. But uh, from what I know back in the day, uh, Tom Terrific, he he was throwing some cheese up there. Yeah, he was. And he I saw him pitch a lot, of course. He was great. And but that, that style, now you pitched in college for San Jose State. That style was in vogue back then. Remember, he'd get his right knee dirty, get so down so low and, and brush his knee up against the dirt, down against the dirt. So that was a style a lot of pitchers employed, but you don't see that really at all anymore, do you, Chris? No, no, no. You won't, no, one, no one would teach that anymore. But uh, this is going to be a lot of fun because this is going to be a series that you would have thought, you know, we've always talked about how the A's are the underdogs. They're not the underdogs in this series. They are by far favored over this. And did you look at the division going into this, how bad the NL East was, the Cardinals, the Pirates, the Expo, the Cubs, and the Phillies? I mean, this, this division that the Mets end up winning by a game and a half uh, was not very good at all. Well, the Cardinals were 500, 81-81. And they were a game and a half out. The Pirates trailed by two and a half. And even Montreal, the Expos, were four games under 500. They were three and a half games out of first place. And the Cubs were 77 and 84. They were five games out. The Mets spent much of the year under 500. They were foundering around way under 500. They were in last place or, or maybe maybe not in last, but at least like third or fourth for much of the year. They did rally in September. You have to give them credit because when they played – like we said um, at the top, Chris, when they played the Reds in the NL Championship Series, I mean, here are the Mets with 82 wins, and the Reds won 99 games. And the Mets knocked him out. That can happen That can happen in a short series with pitching, right? I mean, that's the reason the Mets got where they did was because they had uh, the great starting pitching. When you look back, what were you thinking about going into this series between these two? Well, the A's, I, you know, you wouldn't think that it would have been that great a series because the Mets just – you looked at their lineup, and it just wasn't that imposing. And Howie Rose talked about Rusty Staub, and he eventually did have a real good series. But like we said, he was hurt. He didn't play, didn't start game one. That's why Mays played in center field. But they had a very ordinary club on the field. So from that standpoint, it was a mismatch. But when you can run Seaver and Matlack and Kuzman out there in a short series, now you've got a shot. Yeah, I mean, Joe Rudy, because uh, because the next series that we're going to be playing will be against a terrific Dodgers team. But even Joe Rudy told us that the Mets, they were the hardest out of the three, and they only won 82 games. But if you get hot. And you have a good bullpen. If you get hot and you have a good bullpen. Uh, it's interesting with Matlack starting this game. He was under 500 for the year, but he had a 320 ERA. I spent two years with John Matlack when I was broadcasting AAA baseball in Vegas for the Las Vegas Stars. He was their pitching coach. What a really nice man. He was a good pitching coach and a uh, great guy to talk baseball with. So that was the matchup in this game with the two lefties going, uh, Matlack against Holtzman. Can you imagine doing a manager's show every day with Yogi Berra? <laughs> or with Casey, right? <laughs> you, know, manage, you know, obviously Casey, 
excuse me, Casey was the first manager of the Mets. I think it was one of the reasons that the Mets were so endearing. The Mets couldn't win a game. They were, uh, you know, everybody knows, in 62, 3, 4, they were just awful. But because Casey was managing their club, people loved watching the Mets games and listening to the games going to first the Polo Grounds, then to Shea Stadium. I mean, they were the darlings of New York, even though they couldn't win a game. And Yogi just every day with those Yogiisms would have made you laugh every single day. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that he said, actually, there's a lot of truth to it, right? You know, nobody goes to the restaurant anymore because it's too crowded. <laughs> think about that. It actually, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, because when we talked to Reggie, we joked with him about his relationship with the New York media because, you know, they're like, you know, you're coming to New York to, to be something. And he's like, no, I've won three World Series. I've won an MVP. I'm a World Series MVP. I'm bringing my star to New York. And he was right. The straw that stirs the drink. No question about it. And he earned it, too. Yeah, well, if, this, if, you can, if you can back it up, right, more power to you. And this is the start of the nickname Mr. October. Yep, no question. No doubt. So it was Campanaris leading off at short. Rudy and left. Bando at third for the A's. Reggie batting fourth. Played center field because the A's were playing like, or facing a left-hander. And so Jesus Alou. Matty Alou had played for the A's the previous year. Jesus played right field in this game. Gene Tennis at first, then Alou. Fossey catching. Dick Green batting eighth at second base. And then Kenny Holtzman on the mound for the A's. Okay, so tomorrow we'll be back with A's cast live from one to four. And then Thursday night, you and I will be back from 7 to 8 o'clock. And then it's going to be you and Ray on the call of the World Series between the Mets and the Athletics. Let's hope someday we can call one for real. Huh, Chris? Yes, that would be nice. <laughs> you know, we're going to have a lot of fun doing that on Thursday. But if the A's could get there with this current group, you know, they might have a shot one of these years. I wouldn't mind a ring. Yeah. <laughs> you have a great night, my friend. Okay, buddy. Thanks. The great Ken Korak, legendary moments pregame show. That's it for us. You can stay here and listen to the game on A's cast or go over to NBC Sports California and watch game one of the 1973 World Series. Enjoy, everybody, and have a wonderful and safe night. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 